craft cannabis licensees recently got an extension on the deadline to get their businesses up and running, but there's still concerns. It's almost like the Illinois market is dried up you know, when it comes to funding. Here for more Illinois craft cannabis entrepreneurs just ahead on all things Peoria. Good afternoon, I'm Jody Holtz. Coming up, Alex Degman takes a closer look at the state of craft cannabis in Illinois. And Peoria Mayor Rita Ali says she believes keeping the Peoria Riverman at the Civic Center is important. These improvements will help, I think, to bring the two parties together. Plus, a Peoria transplant explains how she went from newcomer to business owner in just over a year. Those stories plus local news just ahead. This is WCBU's All Things Peoria on 89.9 FM and WCBU.org. Broadcasting from the campus of Bradley University, this is WCBU's news magazine, All Things Peoria. I'm Jody Holtz. Thanks for joining on your Thursday afternoon. Craft cannabis growers, transporters, and infusers in Illinois can breathe a sigh of relief for now. They were supposed to be ready to start business yesterday, but the State Department of Agriculture issued an extension that now gives these businesses until next year to get things in order. As Alex Degman tells us, some see it as a reprieve, but most are still worried. Illinois' craft cannabis industry is pretty small, so an event full of people in it is almost like a family reunion with vibes. The Illinois Independent Craft Growers Association and the Social Equity Empowerment Network put on a symposium this week to bring everyone together to share stories, get advice, and hopefully make connections. But the event at the South Shore Cultural Center in Chicago was like the type of family reunion with a big elephant in the room. Instead of worrying about when their uncle will make an inappropriate joke, the Kraft Cannabis family wonders about deadlines and whether they'll survive. The 2024 extension is good news for people like Crystal Anderson. Oh my God, yes, it's a big relief for us. And it's not that we have stopped working because we're still trudging along and doing things that we have to do to, um, to stand this business up. A nurse anesthetist by day, Anderson's trying to open a dispensary in DeKalb and a craft grow facility in Kankakee. She also has a transporter license. It was still a brighter room than it might have been a month ago before the extension. Depending on when you got your license, you now have until either February or December of next year. The state says COVID-19 and supply chain issues led to the extension, even though just weeks prior, there were no plans for such a move. Like many in the social equity cannabis space, Anderson has had problems fundraising, but she says she's close. It's almost like the Illinois market has dried up you know, when it comes to funding, um, but you know, we've had some good leads. Um, my group have, and we're just hoping that you know, they follow, you know, fall in place and we're able to do it. Illinois created these social equity craft licenses to help people with past marijuana offenses break into the industry on a smaller scale, particularly black and brown folks. But access to capital and money from state loan programs are difficult to get. Alicia Royster co-founded the Social Equity Empowerment Network, or SCENE, in Chicago. It tries to address the racial wealth gap by fostering more black-owned businesses. Royster appreciates the deadline extension because she's also trying to open a craft grow. But she still needs investors and a location. We're now three years into this struggle, and we have, you know, um, no resources. So 
we're in a we're in a unique time right now where it's a volatile market. People are not looking at, at cannabis because they're worried about what's going to happen in a recession. It's another sign that in this industry, money rules almost everything. We talked to Reese Xavier about that a few months ago. The CEO and managing partner of HT23 Growers in South Suburban Chicago Heights says he's gotten some attention lately, but he's acting like there is no extension. I'm of the opinion that you can't take your foot off the gas, whether it's an extension or not, because what will happen is if you take your foot off the gas, you stop pressing for those funds, you stop pressing to get all the things that you need in place to become operational, the year goes by like that. I got my license in 2021. It feels like yesterday. Xavier expects his project to cost around $9 million. He's trying to convert a vacant strip mall into a complex with a grow facility, a dispensary, a kitchen, and a consumption lounge. He's building out slowly as he waits for money from the state to come in, which he's confident will. In the meantime, he wants to talk to state lawmakers. He doesn't think craft cannabis license holders are involved enough in charting a path forward. I can sit down, I can tell you every hurdle I've been through to date, and I'm confident there'll be a lot more. I can sit down and tell you all the challenges that we receive financially. No one has better experience and knowledge about that than the folks who are going through it. Most craft cannabis license holders, including almost everyone at the South Shore Cultural Center, are still going through it, and that will continue for the foreseeable future. There may be a little breathing room now with the deadline extension, but without money and legislative fixes, soon the relief will be short-lived. I'm Alex Degman. You're listening to All Things Peoria. This is 89.9 FM and WCBU.org. You're listening to All Things Peoria. I'm Jody Holtz. The Peoria City Council is showing support for a plan to issue $20 million in bonds to help the Civic Center pay for its long list of needed capital upgrades. That includes a new ice plant for the Carver Center hockey rink. At this week's council meeting, members gave city administrators a green light to draft an ordinance that will come up for a vote on March. March 13th. In this month's regular conversation with WCBU reporter Joe Deacon, Peoria Mayor Rita Ali discusses a broad range of topics, including the benefits of this agreement to fund the Civic Center improvements. The advantage is that we bring an asset of the community up to uh, good repair. It helps to add to the quality of life of our community, helps to support the entertainment and other activities that take place within the Civic Center, including the Rivermen, uh, because it does incorporate about $3.5 million to replace the ice plant. So many advantages. The only disadvantage is associated with you have to pay it back. It's money that we are borrowing, so we'll have a schedule for payback. So as you said, the item that's got the most attention among the capital needs is replacing the ice plant. It's one of many key components to the lease discussions between the Civic Center and the Peoria Rivermen. Mm -hmm. I realize the city is not involved in those lease talks, and I understand that the city cannot make the $20 million deal contingent upon a contract between the team and the Civic Center. But in your mind, how vital is a new lease to this capital investment? Well, I think it's it's very important that we retain the Rivermen. Uh, There's certainly and interests by the public and the city council as well in terms of retaining this uh, professional hockey league right here in Peoria. And so, you know, these improvements will help, I think, to bring the two parties together with mutual interest in negotiating a fair process uh, for closing the deal on a lease. 
So there's a high expectation that the parties will come together and really get the job done. Some council members have voiced concerns about the Civic Center not planning ahead of time to afford some of these capital needs or having issues covering their operational costs. What are your thoughts on those concerns? You know, I just disagree with that because the Civic Center does not have the ability to levy for taxes. They are very dependent on uh, both the HRA taxes as well as the revenues that they get from the entertainment or events that they have. So that's what they're limited to. Most of those uh, revenues uh, support their operating costs and don't go as far as replacement of a roof or big uh, capital expenses. So there has to be some other funding mechanisms, and the city of Peoria just happens to have some responsibility for the capital needs of, of this important asset. Another action taken by the council was approval of the annexation, or pre-annexation as it's sometimes called, of the 90 acres along Cedar Hill Drive in Medina Township. Several people who live in that area were opposed to the annexation, and Councilman Dennis Sear was reluctant in supporting the measure because he wants to be a good neighbor. How are annexation agreements like this one in the city's best interest? You know, I want to be a good neighbor, too. And, and I don't think anybody on the council wants to damage any relationships with the people uh, within Medina Township or, or nearby. But I, I think that there's been some miscommunication, some fears generated that the city is attempting to grab the land and make it look more like an urban versus a rural area. And that's just not true. The city was exercising its right the city did not go out and find this property owner. The property owner came to the city and asked that, you know, the land be subdivided. In order to do that, we had to have a pre-annexation agreement. There were six pre-annexation similar agreements that were done with the village of Dunlap, and nobody complained. There was no outcry. So, you know, I, I think there's a perception of the bigger city of Peoria is uh, wanting to put multifamily housing, affordable housing, low-income housing. Uh, I, those are just unfounded concerns and fears. In reality, it's not likely that we will even fully annex that property. But does the city risk becoming overextended with annexations like these? You know, what we're going to do, and I think we're probably going to make it part of our strategic planning process, is to meet as a council and and really take a look at how how big do we want to be as a city? What size do we want to be? Where's our limits? Uh, you know, we're, you know, how far north do we want to go and uh, now and, and in the future? You are listening to All Things Peoria on WCBU. I'm Joe Deacon talking with Peoria Mayor Rita Ali. Mayor Ali, the city is planning to build senior housing on the south side, but some residents there say that's not really what the area needs most. Is the plan developed by IDG Architects a few years ago still the city's vision for that MacArthur corridor? And if so, how does a senior housing project fit into that vision? The issue that we have here, one, it's not the senior housing that some people think of senior housing. Many of the senior housing developments are 62 and up. This development is 55 and up. 55. Uh, there's a lot of interest, and the 55 and up senior developments that we have in Peoria are in high demand. In fact, there's a, a two-year uh, waiting list for one of them. There's a six-month waiting list for another. These types of developments are actually in high demand. There's been a comparison to some of the 62 and up 
developments that have a few vacancies. And again, these are different types of developments. One of uh, the types of 62 and up is fully HUD subsidized, non-tax paying. This is fully tax paying. So it's really a different animal, um, and the comparisons that are being made are not apples to apples. What about addressing affordable housing needs in that area and all across the city? I believe that was a topic during this week's council meeting as well. Yes, yeah, so there was a demonstration by Director Joe Doolin earlier this week, and he provided kind of a comprehensive overview of affordable housing. Well, the South Side is in greatest need of quality, affordable housing. And there's, you know, we've been demolishing homes, older homes that were not repairable. The city owns a lot of land now that can be developed. There's lots of opportunity for multiple developers to come in and propose housing development projects. Another thing that was brought up during public comments this week was carbon dioxide pipelines and the potential impacts on the south side. I believe Wolf Carbon Solutions and ADM are considering a carbon capture pipeline to the bioergic plant. What are your thoughts on the potential community risks and what could the city do about this? That's Peoria Mayor Rita Ali talking to WCBU's Joe Deacon for their monthly conversation. To hear the full interview, head to WCBU.org. This is All Things Peoria. Thanks for choosing All Things Peoria. I'm Jody Holtz. A transplant from California is now planting her roots firmly in the River City by opening up a new art studio in the Sunbeam building. Melissa Wood was first interviewed for WCBU's Welcome Home series in October. In this conversation, Wood tells me more about how she went from transplant to studio owner in just a year and a half and what people can expect from her new studio, Category Art. It was during COVID that we really Really began to um, sort of look and look at things on Realtor.com and look at different pl- best places to live on the net. We found Peoria to be perfect in every way. And, you know, the last time I was here, I said, I'm, I'm sort of still in love with Peoria. And I, I still am. I just <laughs> think it's an amazing place to live. I love the ability to get out and hike so easily instead of, you know, driving for two hours to get to some hiking here, you know, we can drive 10 minutes or 15 minutes and there's superior trails. We wanted to leave where we were because of also the fires had gotten really uh, difficult, really um, decided to move here. The cost of living was excellent. So it allowed me to go back to my art full time, which I had been wanting to do for 10 years. So coming to Peoria has allowed me to do that again. Yeah, absolutely. And and on that note, you know, you've really hit the ground running since you have moved here <laughs> as a transplant, now opening your very own art studio here in the area. Um, you know, so what inspired you to open the studio and like plant roots here in that way? Mm. I found that I, I was doing a little bit of research and I saw that there were so many supportive arts organizations in the area. Went to the Riverfront Museum. I just am amazed at that museum. I love the fact that it's got art and history and science. So I was inspired by that. And then just all the organizations like Art Inc. here. And then just getting out, I went to the Contemporary Arts Center. Just was very uh, impressed, you know, with the support for arts here. Mm -hmm. I had not really expected that necessarily. It made me feel at home, you know, to be with other artists. And the last time I, I met with you, and you mentioned the studios on Sheridan, I went in, and Jody, it's just, you know, for me, it just felt magical. It's just like this little mysterious 
place with like a little passageway, you know, that you might see in Paris or something where you just, you know, you go in and there's different, all kinds of different shops and different artists. And long story short, was able to get a space right away, a beautiful little space that I completely, you know, redid, very intimate, uh, big enough to have classes, you know, Mm -hmm. just two or three students, big enough for me to work in and demonstrate and to have exhibits. It's a wonderful little space. And I just thought, oh, you know, the timing is right. I'm just going to go ahead and do it. I've wanted to do this forever. So yeah, I do it. In terms of, you know, the process of going from moving here and not really knowing anyone to now, you know, being a, a studio owner, I guess, were there any challenges throughout that process that you encountered? Or was it easier than you expected it to be? Yeah, it, it was actually easier than I expected. I had planned to take about a year, which I think really pretty much I did, take about a year to just not really be immersed in the arts community, uh, just but just to settle in myself mm-hmm. and find what I loved about the area, what inspired me, um, just have met so many wonderful, welcoming people, mm-hmm. um, you know, that, that just like yourself, you know, said, well, do you know this person? What about that person? And people just have led me to where I needed to be. Yeah, that's great. Um, And, you know, before we talk more about the studio, I guess just tell me a little bit about yourself as an artist, you know, what your background with art has been and and how you would describe your work. Okay. Let's see. I started as a printmaker. I went to Washington University in St. Louis, studied printmaking, got my degree there, and ended up then moving almost immediately out to California. I lived in San Francisco for about 10 years and and then fast forward, I ended up moving to Marin County for a little bit, and then I moved out to the Central Valley mm-hmm. in California, uh, the Sacramento River Valley. Moving out to the valley, my work changed, and actually my work just became very, very exuberant, very uh, joyful. I always, have always used uh, mixed media. After I got my degree in printmaking, I decided to explore different media. Mm-hmm. So I you know, went into uh, painting and really began to explore assemblage, making uh, art in boxes and little containers and things. I've always collected many, many things. And and then I was given a residency at the Fine Arts Museums of San Francisco, so the De Young Art Center and the uh, Legion of Honor. And um, I was going to have to make art in public. And I'd never made mm-hmm. art in public. I'd exhibited many, many times. But that really when I realized what I was going to have to do, I was really thrown. And I thought, oh, boy, what am I going to, how am I going to do this? And so, so at the time, I'd been reading a little bit in the news about um, the honeybee colony collapse. So it became this amazing immersion that I did all about honeybees and honey in all kinds of different ways. Mm-hmm. And I created work with using all kinds of different mediums that I had never used before. So I became more, much more oriented at that point towards and open towards just exploring any type of material. Mm-hmm. Um, hence, hence the name of my space here, Category Art, which is, you know, people at that point begin to have a hard time knowing where to place my work. You know, mm-hmm. is it this? Is it that? Is it landscape? Is it animals? Is it what is it? Well, it's a lot of that. And so it's hard to categorize my work. And so I just thought, you know what? The category is just art. It's Mm -hmm. creativity. It's not categorized. (laughs) Yeah, yeah. And from I guess from from what you're telling me, it kind of sounds like, you know, the location and the places that you've lived have really inspired a lot of your work. And I'm kind of wondering, you know, ever since moving to Peoria, have you seen your work changed with this new landscape? Oh, absolutely. In fact, I'm planning to do a show. um, Well, I'll invite other artists as well as have my own work. But the prairie, the prairie here, uh, you know, I had no idea 
first of all, how dedicated and committed people are in this area to restoring prairies. And so I'm, I'm really inspired by that. And I've always been inspired by animals. So I'm interested in the types of animals that are here. And yeah. Uh, yeah. Category Art is having its opening reception on March 3rd. So tell me more about what people can expect from the studio space. Well, it's not a traditional gallery, so to speak. It does have a gallery in it. Mm-hmm. That's part of it. But it's more than that. It's a space that is really an intimate center for learning and an intimate center for uh, seeing art. Eventually, uh, a little bit later in March, I'll be having workshops. So hands-on opportunities to create something unique. Uh, One of my uh, workshops I'm excited about is called uh, Assemblage Portrait. So I'll use my experience and knowledge about assemblage work and help people bring their own uh, items and bring it into becoming uh, a portrait in a box and so it'll be a, uh, an environment where there will be workshops. There'll be demonstrations of work. My work will be in progress. Pop-up shops. I'm hoping to have uh, uh, fellow artists uh, that create toys and books and clothing. Uh, I want to do little pop-up shops during during the time that I'm there. I want Peoria to be able to have a space they know that they can go to that's sort of a magical little space. And I like to think it will be a very non-judgmental space in terms of uh, people taking workshops there. Mm-hmm. That's sort of the nature of my teaching. Uh, so I hope people find sort of a, a hearth there, sort of a uh, cozy, intimate space to enjoy art, to learn new techniques, new skills, visit, and to shop. That was Melissa Wood. Category Art will have its opening reception tomorrow from 3 to 8 p.m. in Gallery 3A at 929 North Sheridan Road. All are welcome. For more information about Wood, Category Art, and WCBU's Welcome Home series, head to wcbu.org slash welcome. And that is all the time we have for today's episode of All Things Peoria from WCBU. A public service of Bradley University and Illinois State University. I'm Jody Holtz. Thanks for being here today. We had story help today from Alex Degman and Joe Deacon. Holden Kellogg produced this episode of ATP. And if you want more of these stories, you can find them at WCBU.org. You can also subscribe to the All Things Peoria podcast on Apple, Spotify, Google, or the NPR app. And we do want to know what you think of the show, why don't you let us know by commenting on our Facebook page, we're Peoria Public Radio, or give us a follow on Twitter and Instagram at WCBU Radio. This is 89.9 FM and WCBU.org, Peoria Public Radio, parts of the NPR Network.